We sound so enthused today. I know. I like my <laughs> voice like, sounds really hey. deep. We're so late because Leah went oh to my go gosh. to the doctor. Oh, I think my husband gave me his man cold on top of my sharp throat. I'm going to murder him. How about that? Let's just, let's just, you know what? I shouldn't have said that because when he shows up dead, <laughs> now there's evidence. <laughs> this podcast will just, this uh, episode will just magically disappear. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Sorry, Celia. <laughs> okay, so Celia Aaron is a USA Today bestselling author and recovering attorney who loves romance, dark to light, angsty to funny, real to fantasy. If it's hot and strikes her fancy, she writes it. Thanks for reading. So you guys, I feel like you know Celia from like social media. She's so sweet. Like we've met her in person oh, yeah, okay. though too. I probably have mm-hmm. too. I talk to her a lot. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so when was the first time you met Celia? Do you remember Mel? Was it when we I were at I think it RT? was at RT. Yeah. Maybe RT Vegas. I feel like yes. that might have been was, the first time. It was Jamie Schlosser. Yes, I think I, I, it was Jamie Schlosser. I met oh, her. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I met her and her husband. I think I introduced him to bubble craps. Me and him like got addicted that weekend. We're like, we're playing bubble craps all weekend. So he's like, okay, I'll just hang out over here, guys. <laughs> they were bubble craps. It's like, if you don't know how to play craps, if you go to Vegas, you can play bubble craps and it's a machine. And it teaches you how to play craps, but you don't have to worry about messing anybody up because if you've ever watched people play crafts it's really intimidating it is yeah because mm-hmm. everybody's yelling you have to know what you're doing and you're go 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 but the machine you do it with five people it won't let you mess anybody up you run out of time mm-hmm. and then it throws the dice so you don't have crafts. to worry about that frustrating that frustration i like i don't Even like crafts i've like played it a few times but you're right it is really intimidating because you know it's like you're putting you're you're basically just putting money on like numbers evens odds colors and like once you lose it and just sometimes you want to bet and then they're like next time next go but go go and you're just throwing money mm-hmm. it's like the quickest way to lose money i don't know and it's the quickest way to gain money i know i was money. gonna say i like i love crafts i it's i mean fun. mel and i both like that's something once that we, we learned were, it yeah yeah once we learned it you know, when we were in Atlantic City that time, you know, we had, there was a dead table and that's how you want to do it. You want to go to a casino. If you really want to learn how to play it, go to a casino during the day when it's open and there's, there's nobody there. playing yeah. it. Yeah. And the dealers, all they want to do is help you out. Like, I mean, they're not doing nothing. So they're like, yeah, what do you want to know? And like, they would tell you like where to bet, how to bet. They, and if you play at a table long enough, if you stand there long enough and you play long enough, they'll remind you of your bets. Like I bet twos and twelves all the time. Like I put a buck on those. And so like, if I forget, they'll be like, hello. Like they'll hit me with the stick in front of my, in front of my money or whatever. They'll hit it. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Hello. I got it. And so like, they'll, they'll pay attention to how you bet. And then they'll remember your bets. So that if you forget, yeah. But once you learn how to play it and you're with a group of people, it's like a mob mentality. <laughs> it is mob mentality. <laughs> yes, you're exactly right, Mel. Everybody, you get to know these random people. You're like, oh, he's up, he's up. He does, he does eights. Eight. Yeah, Everybody yeah, hit the eights, hit the eights. Yep, hard eight, hard eight. Start screaming. Like, I want to go play right now. I fucking love craps. 
Like, this is why I don't live close oh, to a casino. No. It would be so I, bad. I love, my game is Caribbean oh stud and three-card poker. Really? Yeah. I feel like that. See, that to me is intimidating. Any kind of cards is like intimidating. Cards I would never go up to a poker table. I play three-card poker. I could sit there for... I could sit there for eight hours and I wouldn't even realize the time had passed. I love it. I love Ultimate Texas Hold'em. Yep. Table. Yep. Mel's a Texas Hold'em girl. I'll, if I can't find her at a craps table, she's sitting down. She's with the big boys over there at the table. When, so remember like when a Texas Hold'em got huge, like when Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker like 10 years ago yeah. and it just blew up? Uh-huh. All these illegal mm-hmm. gambling dens popped up all over New York City. And me and Pat used to go play uh, Texas Hold'em in them. So, yeah, yeah. they would basically basically, like set up, which was, it was a terrible idea because he was, he wasn't even in the country legally at the time. So we're like really, really really tempting fate. But yeah. You were really just rolling the dice. Literally. So So basically somebody would like rent an apartment and just put poker tables in it and charge people for their chips. You'd sit down and then they'd start a tournament. And I like we That's love we do, awesome. we do it all the time for like a year there we were doing it every weekend, and do you know? Yeah, if, yeah. that just sounds that sounds like super. I'd be down to so do that great. if you were like, it's do you want to go? Yeah, do you want to go on an underground poker night? But yeah, fuck they yeah, dude. Rated. They're gone now. Well, which I don't even know what your charge would be for that. Yeah, no. We're hanging out at one. I know. Like, what's your what's your in? How much is it to get well, in? Legal. It's gambling is legal in New York City, so I guess it would be racketeering or what legal, what's, a, what's a gamble what's the term for gambling like facilitating yeah. gambling illegal gambling yeah. illegal well, gambling that's what, oh that's what Celia said to me the other day because we got a chef Ramsey's here steakhouse yeah and she's like where are you go where's this at in Kansas City I was like the casino she's like you have fucking casinos there in the bible belt hell yeah I was like we do well technically they're not on the land have I ever told you guys that yeah they said on the water you don't realize it, but when you cross into the casino, you're on the water. Yeah. In California, they have the, yeah. and Connecticut, they have them on Indian, Indian mm-hmm. reservation land. Like, I don't actually, yeah. I don't know if that's true for Connecticut, but I think it is. But in California, yeah, there's like an Indian reservation where all the casinos are. So if you wanted to go to the casino, you could go to the reservation. Or is it just on the water? Because it's different laws, I guess. Riverboat gambling. Well, they have that in South Carolina too. Like even in the even in South Carolina, they have casinos. But again, it's at Cherokee. It's on their on their reservation. They put the casino on there, and they have a lot of restrictions on like drinking and smoking and, and betting and stuff like that. But I mean, it's there if you if you're really hard up to do it. Sorry, I think I should have said Native American. I just wanted to. <laughs> I just want to correct myself. <laughs> it's okay. I, yeah, I, it's the Native American mm-hmm. land. Well, you know, fun fact though. Um, so I've been listening to a podcast called The Office Ladies. And if you're into The Office at all, if you enjoy The Office, which I really do, it's hosted by um, the lady who played Angela and the lady who played Jenna Pam. Fisher and, and uh, yeah, I Angela, I can't, Kinsey, Kinsey? Yeah. I think is her, yeah, I think that's her real last name. So they host a podcast and every episode, they discuss a different episode of the show. So they go in order. Like episode one is episode the the season opening of the pilot of the office. So they go through each um, episode. So um, there are only a few episodes then. So if you are interested at all, you should get on. It's called The Office Ladies. Fun fact, when I was listening to it the other day, Jenna Fisher is like huge into poker. Like that's like she said she was with her husband and they were in Scotland and they had flown over and they didn't sleep well. 
and they didn't want to mess up their time, like with sleeping and stuff. They didn't want to be off or jet lag. So they decided to stay up. And she said they had gone to like all these different places and done all this stuff and stayed up all day and just like in a haze of exhaustion. And then she said they went to a pub in Scotland and she said, and they just so happened to have this poker tournament. And she said, you know what? This will kill a few hours before we have to go back to the hotel and go to bed. Let's get in. And she said they stayed there all <laughs> night long. She said, I kept winning. She said, my husband, she's like, I went all in so many times trying to get out. And she said, we got down to the end. She said, it was me and this other local guy, this local Scottish guy in this tiny town at the table. And she said, and she was like, and I went in and she said, and I won. And she was like, they were so pissed that this American from like, she's like, I don't even know if they knew I was a celebrity or whatever. She's like, they just were pissed that like a local didn't win it. And she said, yeah, I got my name on the wall. And she said, but it was a tournament. I was supposed to go back like the next month and compete again for my title. And she said, obviously, I didn't go back. I'm, I'm assuming it just went to the second I'm guy. I'm guessing, that though, they probably so. were pissed unless she bought a round of drinks. Like, if you win, if you win yeah, in a yeah, exactly. pool in a, in a bar, you're expected to, mm-hmm. A, tip the bartender. Yeah. And B, <laughs> buy mm-hmm. a round of drinks for everybody. Yeah. Throw yeah. it around. Throw. But even still, I think she said it was only like 200 bucks. It wasn't like anything crazy. You know, when they were doing it. But I just thought that was funny. Like, I remember there's a part in the office when um, when Jenna Fisher, her character, Pam and Jim, John Krasinski, and they're talking about um, they're up late at night. She said, you know, when you're up at 3 a.m. for a feeding and she was like in the World Series poker tours on, she was like, you pick up a few things. And she was like, you don't play the cards. You play the opponent. <laughs> and like she said that. And I was like, and then when she was talking about this on the podcast, I was like, oh, she really believed that shit. <laughs> Like she's into this. I thought that was kind of cool. So there's your fun fact toy today. One time I was one time I was in Vegas and um, I was playing blackjack at Mandalay Bay, and I was there with. So Pat used to play in pool tournaments in Vegas once a year. He had like a team, a pool team, and they would go to Vegas for a tournament. And yeah, they oh, came. Nice. In, they came. They would come in like the top twenty every year out of like the thousands of teams. They were. Pat, Holy Pat's shit! Really that's cool. Player. So we were at Mandalay Bay during one of those tournaments and I'm sitting playing blackjack and the pit boss, you know, the guy who like goes around making sure everything's handled, passed out, like just dropped like a stone, hit the floor. No. Nobody stopped dealing. Nobody moved. I was going to say, I bet nobody fucking moved. moved. The guy kept dealing. (laughs) No shit. Uh, The guy was like, what's your bet? What's your bet? And he just like, everybody kept going. Like they did not stop for even a second to turn around to this guy. They probably knew who's passed out. And he Uh was an older gentleman. So like, you know, somebody like that passes out, you're worried. A stretcher Uh came in, they threw his ass up on there. They got him out and nothing. It was like, it never happened. No shit. One of the craziest things. (laughs) And I'm like, I lived in New York for several years at that point. And I was like, that was cold. (laughs) You're like, that's some crazy (laughs) shit. Well, you know, it's like, I wonder if they're trained for this just because, like, stop gambling. Well, you, you lose money. You yeah. never know. Yeah, you well, you just never know what people are trying to get over on you. You know, I'm sure they see all kinds of cheating and betting and, you know, like, people trying to take advantage of the system. And even though this was a pit boss, like, they're probably still like, oh, you're not grabbing chips off the table. I'm watching yeah. you, you know? Yeah. God, I find gambling fascinating. And I don't know if it's because I wasn't really exposed to it a ton but uh, uh, you know younger or anything like it wasn't until I was probably in my 30s that I went to a casino for the first time and I was like oh shit this is great you know like 
My dad always used to say, when you're losing, when you're starting to lose and you're like, you keep mm-hmm. uh, losing, you lose like several hands in a row, start doubling your bets because the odds oh, are you're going to start hitting again. Yeah, oh he always God. used to say that. I oh. love that whole, that entire philosophy, I think. <laughs> I'm the right losing, double down, double bitches. Down, yeah. <laughs> My luck is about to change. Um, okay, so in a little while, we're going to play you the first installment of Christmas at Blackwood by Celia Aaron. And the characters in this book are also featured in a book that's called Blackwood. So I'm going to read to you that blurb. I dig. It's what I do. I, I'll literally use a shovel to answer a question. Some answers, though, have been buried too deep for too long. But I'll find those, too, and I know where to dig. The Blackwood Estate on the edge of the Mississippi Delta. Garrett Blackwood is the only thing standing between me and the truth. A broken man, one with desires that dance in the darkest part of my soul. He's either my savior or my enemy. I'll dig until I find all his secrets, then I'll run so he never finds me. The only problem, he likes it when I run. Ooh. Authors authors know Ooh. this is a full-length standalone mystery slash suspense romance with dark themes. So that sounds really good. <laughs> it is really good. I've read it. It's got a lot of suspense to it and mystery, and you're not sure what's going on, and then there's some really good kinks. Yeah, she says here that it's... That- um, it's a dark, suspenseful tale with an unusual dominant relationship that's actually more accurately described as primal in BDSM lingo. Yeah, so you what I actually re- really enjoyed about this book when you read when you listen to this Christmas book is you're going to see this couple from that book in here, and they're kind of funny now. Where that book was more dark and stuff, now you're getting to see them years into their relationship, and it's a little bit more lighthearted and not as suspenseful. It was nice to enjoy them in that space. To revisit them. But I think anybody who listens to this and really enjoys it is going to want to go back and read that one because throughout them, he's constantly being very primal and like picking her up and taking her off to go fuck her. I like that. <laughs> so now this is a Christmas book that we've got this week. Decilia, she has a couple of Christmas books, doesn't she? Yeah, she has a whole bundle out. She has a bundle out and then she had a new one out that was like, I think she did it in her newsletter for free and then she went ahead and put all the chapters together. And released it. Yeah, she has a Christmas book that's out right now called Accidental Santa. Scrooge meets his match in like a mouthy elf. <laughs> that's what she, what she called it. So that sounds really interesting to me. I like uh, I like the sound of that. Accidental Santa. Yeah. I love it. Okay, let me see what I've got here for us this week. Oh, shoot. I just opened up to the wrong page. I'm trying to come <laughs> up with a, sto- uh, a title for my the third book in my Hot and Hammered series. And we've literally gone got four like suggestion number 400 now at this point oh no so what and is you still it haven't liked what? Any? and you still haven't liked I, yeah, it yeah nothing's like jumping out it's so it's it's an enemies to lovers book but it's um it's like house flipping like they're in a they're actually in a reality show house flipping competition and so it's going to have something that's like construction oriented or flipping oriented but also like enemies to lovers it's got to have that kind of theme and you asked the bird I haven't. I will. Like you know what? Her I should area ask of her. expertise. My favorite so far this is, like, is the tools of engagement. Yeah. No. <laughs> no? That's probably going to end no. up being the title. <laughs> no, are you serious? You should definitely ask the bird because she's taken my name and morphed it into 400 things. <laughs> okay, I'll, uh, I'm going to text True. her when we get off here. So you've got fix her up and love her or lose her. Yeah. And then, so you're thinking of tools of engagement? Yeah, because, like, rules of engagement is a, it's kind yeah. of an enemies to lovers movie. 
and it is okay. kind of like a, you know how enemy of celebrities is, kind of like a battle of wills. Yeah. Okay. It makes sense now that you say so, it. So, I don't know. I'll... I like the idea of using the flip, though. Yeah. I, think I mean, we've cool. got flipping their framework, a framework for, for forever, forever flipped, love among the lumber, restoration <laughs> hardware, shaking <laughs> rafters, burning down the house. I like love flip. I do, too. I like love flip. Wait, was that one of them? Forever flipped, you mean? Forever right. flips. Oh well, well, I like love flipped. Well, so. my so my <laughs> title originally was um, flip off. You know, oh, I like that. It's too. I like that, and I was gonna say something like that, but no, they won't sell it in Target. Harsh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. It's too harsh for mainstream uh, mm-hmm. publishing. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to tell you guys uh, a couple of things. Uh, first is. The Righteous Best? Gemstones. I st- oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wait. <laughs> Mel just hit a button, and all of a sudden, her sweatshirt came to life. I swear to God. How dare, how dare I you just bury that over until, like, 18 in- minutes in? Oh, my God. What? It, it says touchdown. It's a Packers <laughs> ugly Christmas sweater, and it lights the fuck up. Mel, are you serious? It's the Christmas week. Oh my god! <laughs> Light that fucker up again. Let me see it. It's too distracting. When I turned it on, I was like, "Oh, I can't even look at that in the thingy." No, I can't figure out the button again. That is just—that's glorious. Oh, it's never lovely color too. So it's beautiful. like fifteen different colors. I know, melting into each other. Take a picture. You need to post that in headquarters. Take a take a video. But it's of got it. like this. It's not super comfortable. Look at this inside. Oh shit! It's, like it's got like framework. wires and stuff all in it. Yeah, <laughs> you've got a keyboard across your chest. Some kind of like hover pad. Okay, I don't Mal, know look what at that me. thing is Say called. Motherboard. So you'll come up on my screen. Hi. All right, I got it. <laughs> um okay so first it. thing that picture will be in the read me romance headquarters <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. i I, start, I took leah's suggestion and started watching the righteous gemstones on hbo holy what shit think? why did i wait so long it, <laughs> god it's so good like, it's so I, me, fucking me good Pat are like obsessed with it and we're only like three episodes into it and there's just something about john goodman that is so endearing and i love him so he's much. not he's not the highlight of the show for me though it's the sister <laughs> oh yeah the sister's nuts she's crazy they're all hilarious but that show like I keep hoping they're going to do like another season or another something. I don't know, but they, I think it was just meant to be a short show. I don't think they plan on doing any more, but fucking, I want to call him Kenny Powers, but Danny McBride is, he's a genius. Like that's, he, I think he probably wrote this cause he wrote all the other ones, it's but very like that, him. like, oh yeah, it's like Southern evangelicals and they just, I mean, he writes it so perfectly episode, because it's his so it's experience. Like John Goodman is the patriarch of this family, and he's got these two sons, and they're evangelical pastors, and they have this giant mega church. And um, in the first episode, he get he's the Kenny Powers, or sorry, um, Danny McBride's character. yeah, Danny McBride. He uh, is getting blackmailed, so like that sets up the whole season. And it talks about like how they're like their corruption, basically, and how they're just this facade of a family but they're really kind of rotten behind the scenes. And so that's what's so good. But the, how many episodes are you three. in? three. The son just came home. Oh, shit. Sure. <laughs> <I just> re- <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. 
It's okay. That happens pretty yeah, early yeah. on. But the um the Uncle Baby Billy and that is that's that's the solid gold line for me in that in that series. Uncle Baby Billy. Uncle Baby Billy, it's maybe you haven't gotten that. Okay, far I'll yet, let you know when I get there. But be on the look, be on the lookout okay. for that. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to tell you guys is yesterday, um, I went to Ann Taylor Loft to buy some sweaters um, because mm-hmm. my sister in law is coming to visit, and I want to just like look nice. You know, you know how you do. <laughs> you don't want to lay around the house in your scrub in your your yoga pants <laughs> yeah, like, and your ratty shit. sweater. And it comes down to it, I don't. I only have like three outfits. <laughs> and you're like you're gonna walk around your house in like a, you know a tea dress. I changed my sweater the other day and I came out and my son was like, "It's weird seeing you in different clothes. You wear like the same three things." I'm like, "What?" Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, "Oh, I guess I do. I don't go anywhere." <laughs> but can you imagine though if you had like a relative that was coming to stay with you over Christmas though, like? Can you imagine what you'd have to get to wear around the house? Someone you weren't I, super comfortable with, you know? That reminds I seen a meme this morning. It said, I still don't know what I'm wearing to the living room for Christmas Day. I might not go. <laughs> I walked into Ann Taylor Loft and this woman was on her way out. And she's like, she's like, do you, um, she's like, I have this uh, loft cash, $40 off a of $50, per, $40 off a of purchase of $50 or more, basically. And Holy I was like, shit. Thanks. And she was like, she's like, sure. I wasn't going to, she's like, I'm not going to use them. So, and she goes, if you don't use them, make sure you pass it on to someone else. So I was just like, had like a great feeling. And then I got to the register and I handed them the $40 loft cash and they were like, oh, you can only use one. So then I got to hand it to the lady behind me and she like lit up. And it was so funny because when I turned around, she kind of just had like, you know, the face you have all the time, just like when you're not with friend you're just by yourself you're trying to get mm-hmm. your shit done and get home and kind of like resting bitch yeah. face right whatever yeah but like the second i offered it to her she just like her whole entire demeanor changed oh that's and I was sweet just, like, thinking, you know you know you don't know people you know it's like yeah i bet it felt really good yeah, too it was cool it was well it was nice that she did that to me and i honestly was like i'm not sure if i would have thought to do that for someone else like, I, I think I would have been yeah, like, maybe yeah. I'll come back in a week and, and, and use these, maybe not. But I'm not going to, like, talk mm-hmm. to a stranger. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. But no. it was really nice. It was just a cool experience. Like, the three people <clears throat> that were in that, like, got to feel really good. And the lady, even the, at the counter that was doing the register, like, you could see she was really happy over seeing it all happen. And it was I nice. Oh, that's really sweet. You had, like, your little Christmas miracle moment. Yeah, I hope I you're did. happy. It was nice. You had your, you had your holiday spirit moment. Do you guys want to talk about the Peloton ad? <laughs> Understand it. You don't understand mm. the outrage. What, so everybody, I seen the commercial, and then I seen that people were outraged, but I didn't really see why. I kind of just like, why? Are, I don't. I didn't see the commercial. Tell so, me about it. Okay, there's for those of you who don't know what Peloton is. It's like a stationary bike you buy for your house, and then you can get like um, spinning classes on this video screen that's attached to it, and it's like live. Like Celia yeah. does it. They don't see Actually, you, but you see yeah. them. They're basically sending out their spinning class to like the hundreds of thousands of Pelotons all at once. Okay. And, you know, it's kind of, it's cool. It's like an a actual exercise it class you. at your house and it's mm-hmm. live. So you feel like you're, you have to show up on time. You have to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I, I would love to have one there, but they're like $3,000 and I don't know. I can't yeah. make that investment unless I'm positive I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, so anyways, there's this yeah. commercial for Peloton and, uh, 
this husband buys his wife a Peloton for Christmas. And then she proceeds to like do a video diary of every day on the Peloton. Like, look, honey, like I'm doing it. Uh, it's day three. I'm like, I'm starting. I'm so oh, shit. Um, but her energy is like, a, her energy was very like nervous, I guess you could say. Like oh, okay. her wow. facial expression looks like she's trying to please him, but she's not like, like Stockholm Syndrome? Bit, yeah. And all it really came down to is this actress and like the way she chose to play the character. It was just a bad yeah. commercial. You know, that's all it was. Because it- I seen it was like sexist or something. Well. I don't know. I guess when I watched it, I didn't feel the same way. I watched the commercial and I was like, I don't get it. She seems like she's getting excited the further she gets along and. Your husband's your best friend, so that's who, of course, you would share that with. I don't really understand mm-hmm. the level of outrage over it. I think, you know, I think they purposefully chose an actress who was already a size double zero so that it wouldn't seem mm-hmm. like a husband trying to get his wife to lose weight, you know? It was more mm-hmm. like he just yeah. wanted her to enjoy this present, but I guess, you know, so everybody took it a different way. I think this, well, this product in general is very elitist. In the fact that, like, you, I shouldn't say elitist, but it's expensive as fuck. So, like, not everybody can afford it. So, I think any sort of marketing they do is going to be criticized, most likely, because, you know, it's such an expensive thing. You know, that would be like, I mean, I just, I don't know. I Normally, you don't see products that cost, you know, $3,000 just advertised on Facebook, you know, just scrolling yeah. through. So I I think it's like, I think some of the backlash from it is that, you know, it's not a universally, it's not something that everybody can just go click on Amazon. (laughs) I guess I just, I think I just figured it was about that he wanted her to lose weight or something. And that's what everybody was mad about. No, it's really just like the way she uh, plays the character it's she's she just seems like she's very nervous about pleasing him and also that the video diary is more like here's proof that i'm actually doing it so you don't get mad kind of thing yeah and so people got like really weirded out and i saw the commercial the first time it's actually something i would do my husband's was like you're never gonna use this i'll get it yeah but you'd be like like, look at me i'm on the (laughs) suck it watch your back you really would Yep, watch your back, bitch. Uh, okay, well, I'm okay. I'm glad we got to talk about it because I, you know, as we said, <laughs> we never go out, never. So I, I think I hadn't gotten to to speak to anybody about it, and I feel better now. <laughs> feel more closure about the Peloton ad. You feel closure now. You got this. Yes, discuss yes. it. Okay, great. Okay, we're gonna play the first episode of uh, Christmas at Blackwood by Celia Aaron, and when we come back, we'll tell you what she's given away, and we'll tell you where to go get more from her. So um, stick around, listen to um, this lovely installment, and we'll talk to you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Christmas in Blackwood by Celia Aaron. Read for you by Kit Swan and Kurt Bonham. Azalea attorney Ella King has a case. Browerton attorney Hart Blackwood does too. Too bad they're adversaries. When Ella and Hart clash, Sparks fly in and out of the courtroom. But with the holidays approaching, the judge wants their troublesome case off his docket. Despite the giving season, Hart and Ella's clients can't agree on anything, and Ella and Hart are locked in a head-to-head battle. 
It would take a Christmas miracle to thaw relations between the parties. But could the memory of one night years ago reignite an even bigger flame between Hart and Ella? Chapter 1 Hot She's done it again. I rub my eyes and skim through the most recent filing. It's just shy of midnight. We have court tomorrow at nine. And she's over in Azalea, probably drinking coffee, definitely in Christmas pajamas, and filing a motion to try and win this case. She's clever. Too damn clever. She should be asleep. Instead, she's churning out court documents so fast it'll take me all day just to draft a response. And another day if I want to respond coherently. Fuck. I lean back and sip my bourbon. A cold breeze pushes through my open window and rustles the papers on my desk. December in Mississippi is the time for sleeping in, taking half days, and enjoying all the four-day weekends. But here we are, set for court in the morning, and now she's added another pleading to the stack. Her digital signature is perfect. Her name in loops and swirls. Ella Kang. Has she ever made a mistake? From her prim courtroom attire to the way she ignores every bit of my southern charm, she's been an obsession of mine from the moment I met her. How could she not be? It doesn't help that on top of all her smarts, she has a figure that I want to trace with my tongue. Maybe I turned out more like my brother than I've cared to admit. Because when I see her, I want her so badly that chasing her down doesn't seem like a bad idea. Doesn't seem crazy in the least. Yeah, this case is clearly driving me over the edge. Why did I take this on? I ponder it over another sip of bourbon. Because I'm a sap. Because defending Bonnie's diner from a ridiculous lawsuit seemed like a fun change from my usual drudgery of wills and estates. Because it's time for the Blackwood brothers to clear the air and rehab their reputation in this town. And maybe because I saw her name on the complaint filing. Ella Kang. I had to know if she remembered me. I closed the pleading then go to one of the other tabs on my desktop. Ella's brown eyes flash from the screen. Her neat black skirt suit effectively summon her up. She's not messy. She's got her life all straightened out. But then again, she's missing something. I have what she needs. She just doesn't know it yet. Her photo taunts me the same way her knee-length skirts do in the courtroom. It's funny. She thinks her longer skirts are so demure, but she fails to realize the way the fabric hugs her ass. I don't fail to realize it. Not even a little. Every time she heads up to the bench, I sit back at my council table and enjoy the view. Am I a dog? Definitely. Will that stop me? Nope. The clock strikes midnight, and I finish my drink. I won't respond to her motion, 
Not tonight, but I'll definitely give her my thoughts on it in the morning. Sparring with her in the courtroom has quickly become my favorite pastime. When she gets those little pink blooms in her cheeks, I know I've got her riled. I want to see those up close when she's riled in an entirely different way, preferably while she's beneath me. All the same, she's ruining my lazy December. Judge Houston is in knots over all these briefs. His docket should be quiet, not a single case needing attention. But like me, he didn't account for Ella Kang tearing up the Mississippi roads to make court appearances over here in the Delta. She belongs back in Azalea at a brother's firm, not haunting Browerton. She's a pain in the ass. Once I beat her in this case, I'll show her how much of a pain in the ass I can be. Chapter 2 Ella The small town of Browerton wakes up with the sun. Log trucks pass me on the road as I drive to the courthouse. Bonnie's diner is already serving up their usual fare, a tiny gravel parking lot crowded. My stomach grumbles, but I can't set foot inside. Not when the owners are on the receiving end of my client's lawsuit. So instead, I pull over at the small gas station closer to the town square and grab a pack of powdered donuts and a coffee. Court again? Carl asks with a lopsided smile, one side lumpy from a wad of snuff next to his gum. Browerton is just like Azalea. Everyone knows everyone, and everyone knows everyone else's business, and Carl knows more than most. I nod and add a little more sugar to the tar he calls coffee. Could be the last time for a while. Maybe I can win this thing and never darken your doorstep again. Well, that'd be a damn shame, Miss King. I like having new folks come around, learn new things that way. He scratches his gray stubble. Like with you, I had no idea someone could steal a recipe. That seems bonkers, but here you are suing for it. This case been going on for months, so I guess there's something to it, eh? I read up on it. He points at a beat-up laptop behind the counter. Car grease fingerprints on the scratched silver case. Intellectual property, patents, trademarks, and all that. I went and looked up eggnog recipes at the county library, because that's the point, isn't it? The recipe. I remember when Ty and Rayford's mama died. I went by the house to drop off some great fandas. She loved them, you know. And I can get them at a discount on account of the station. We used to spark back in the day. He smiles, the lump in his cheek even more obvious. But I don't tell nobody about all that now. Water under the bridge. Anyway, I was taking her them fantas, and she was feeling poorly, and she talked about how, more than anything, she wanted her sons to reconcile, to love each other. And then she bummed some of my snuff, and we sat and talked about the good old days. He nods. She wouldn't understand this trademark and patent business between her sons. Nope. But I do. I've been reading, and... It's intellectual property, not trademark or patent. But yes, there's an issue that I think my client has a right to raise. I'm almost caught in Carl's chit-chat trap. 
He's gotten me a few times before, but I've been pretty good at escaping the past handful of times. He reads constantly, knows about a million different facts, and has a story about everyone in this town. On top of that, he loves to talk. He's like the loquacious gas station savant of Browerton. Christmas is almost here. He rings me up on an old-timey cash register, though there's a credit card scanner right next to it. I expect Judge Houston wants to get on down to his place in Destin, especially now that snow's in the forecast. It doesn't snow here. I wave away his offered receipt. Too far south. He tilts his head back, the wrinkles in his neck like lines in old leather. Let's see, let's see here now. I'd have to say that it ain't snowed a lick here since 2007, I believe it was, and then it was just a dusting, about like them powdered donuts you like so much. Right, I remember trying to make a snowman and only getting as far as a snow egg. I take the little roll of sweetness and turn toward the door. So no snow, global warming and all that. Actually, if you read the science, you'd know that global warming actually increases precipitation, even in wintertime. So there'll be more snow. Can you believe that? Science, I tell you, they come up with some crazy stuff. Thanks, Carl. I push through the door and into the chilly air. Bye, Miss King, he calls. A black sedan pulls up next to my white SUV, and I wrinkle my nose when I see who steps out of it. He is, without a doubt, one of the most handsome men I've ever met. I've been secretly drooling over him for months, but I can't let that show, not when I have a case on the line. Maybe if I hurry, he won't see me, and I can... For staying up so late, you sure look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning. Hart's sunglasses hide his green eyes as he strolls toward the glass doors. It's not a compliment, so I won't thank him. You aren't filing an opposition, I take it? I'll file one verbally first thing, Miss King. Don't you worry. His arrogance makes me itch. He only graduated law school three years ago, and he already acts like he's some hotshit trial attorney. His confidence is definitely not a turn-on. Not at all. I want to strangle him every time he draws Miss Kang at me across the courtroom. It's like, Miss Kang, the way he says it. I'm from Mississippi too, but these Delta boys have ridiculously sexy accents. And it's not just the accent, he says it like he knows me. No, like he knows secrets about me. It's like a dark sort of, geez, what am I doing? Shaking my head, I start my car and back out, then get on the road to the courthouse. I don't need to spend any more time thinking about opposing counsel. Doesn't matter how he talks, how he looks, how his suit fits his broad frame, or how much I wish that night four years ago had turned out differently. I'm here to win this case. That's what I get paid for. As soon as that's done, I'll finally be rid of Hart Blackwood. Chapter 3 Hot Rayford is standing outside the courthouse, a cigarette dangling from his mouth when I walk up. 
Morning, Counselor. He pulls the cigarette from his lips and flicks the ash. I keep walking. No good can come from engaging with Ella's client. The marble courthouse is decorated with wreaths and garlands. Some of them faded from the sun and well-worn, others newer, likely purchased from the shiny target over in Jackson. Taxpayer money is always the easiest to come by. Beverly, I greet the clerk. She gives me the same suspicious glare she always does. The Blackwood name has a long way to go around here, if Beverly is any indication. Our bad reputation is stickier than pine pitch, but I'm going to keep doing what I can to change that. I've even gotten Garrett to come to town more, convince everyone he's not Boo Radley hiding out at the Blackwood house. Thank heavens his wife Elise took our last name. She's the only Blackwood people seem to care for in Browerton. I take the marble steps two at a time, then head down the short hallway to the oak double doors leading to Judge Houston's court. The faintest click-clack sounds from the rotunda behind me, and I smile. It's her. I'd know those sensible heels anywhere. Hesitating outside the door, I check my phone for a moment, or at least I pretend to. The click-clack grows louder until I see her at the top of the stairs. I walked away from her at the gas station, but here, I'm more than happy to let her go in ahead of me. She looks up, her glasses perched perfectly on her nose. I can tell she's trying to keep her face neutral, but her disdain for me isn't a secret. Like everyone else, she's not a Blackwood fan. Not yet, anyway. Rayford slinks along behind her, his gray hair and watery blue eyes a testament to a life lived too hard. He and Ty may be brothers, but Ty got the good genes. Or maybe he was just smart enough to stay off meth, stay out of the lumber mill, and marry a good woman. Miss King? I open the door for her. She looks up at me. Her big brown eyes sparkling, even in the shitty courthouse lighting. Thank you, Mr. Blackwood. Rayford snorts. Yeah, thanks, Blackwood. He pushes past me and follows her in. The dipshit is blocking my view, but at least I catch a scent. I don't know the perfume she wears, or even if it is perfume, but she always smells so, so good. I breathe her in as we file down the center aisle, the worn wooden pews empty on either side of us. She sets her neat legal pad on her table and asks Rayford to take his seat beside her. Ty and Bonnie sit on the front row and rise when I approach. I point to the jury room at the side of the court and lead them in there, closing the door behind us. Good morning. I shake Ty's hand, then Bonnie gives me a warm hug. Morning, Hart. Bonnie sits in one of the twelve black rolling chairs at the table as Ty crosses his arms and starts pacing, as usual. I perch on the corner of the table. They filed something last night, a brief that was several pages. I forward it to you and have a copy for you in my briefcase. Will the judge want to talk about it today? 
Ty runs a hand through his brown hair. I have to confess, it's still somewhat odd to see him in person. He never comes out front at the diner, and until this case, I'd never actually met him. Just heard his voice through the window as Bonnie called out orders. But he's a good-looking man. Then again, to snare a woman like Bonnie, he'd have to be. That pleading was heavy on argument and thin on case law, but he'll probably bring it up, yeah, and I can argue it on the fly, but Judge Houston will most likely give me time to draft a reply. Likely won't need to do that until after the holidays. In a nutshell, Rayford argues for half share in the eggnog sales you made for the past three years. He's reduced his claim to half, so that's good. But given the fact you don't feel you owe him anything, no. Ty paces away. Not happening. Bonnie put everything into creating that side business. He turns and puts a hand on his wife's shoulder. She's the one who deserves the profits. Not me, not Rayford. Just because it's from our mom's recipe doesn't give Rayford the right to try to take what we've created with it. His voice rises high enough for Rayford and Ella to hear. Hell, he didn't even go see Mom the nursing home before she died. Didn't pay a dime for her. Didn't even care enough to come to the funeral. Bonnie pats his hand, then presses her dark brown cheek to it. Ty, don't get worked up again. We have heart. He's going to figure this out for us. He leans down and kisses her crown. Right. He sighs. You're always right. Bonnie lifts a gaze to me. I hope you recorded that. I smile. Nope, but I'll happily testify to what he just said. To sum up, Your Honor, Rayford was ostracized by his family because of his addiction. He admits that he's not been wise in his life, but he's also been clean for the past two years. Now that he's turned his back on the things that got him into trouble, he wants to make a fresh start. Half the money from the eggnog business will allow him to do that. She stands directly in front of the judge, giving me an excellent view of her backside. And now, especially with Christmas coming up next week, the spirit of the season lends itself to adjudicating this matter in favor of Mr. Redford Hawk. This is even more pressing given the fact that Bonnie and Ty Hawk have expanded their distribution of Bonnie's eggnog this year. It's available in stores as far away as Birmingham and Dallas. Half of what they're making on these sales rightfully belongs to Rayford, according to their mother's will. Assets are to be divided between them, and that family recipe is an asset. Judge Houston looks at her over his reading glasses, his gray eyebrows highlighted against his dark skin. Is this why I'm here? This argument? I don't see why you asked for an emergency hearing the week before Christmas. Maybe they do things differently over in Azalea, but here we take a break for the holidays. That's what the season lends itself to. She opens her mouth to respond, but he takes off his glasses, gives her a stern look, and waves her back to a table. Wisely, she takes his direction and sits down. Turning to me, he asks, Hot, have you a response to all that? 
Of course. After all, I get paid to talk, so the more words I can throw, the better I'm doing. Judge Houston nods and waves his glasses at me. Get on with it. I'm heading to Destin before the snow sets in. Is it really going to snow? I'd heard the weather report and figured the radio personalities were just messing around. He swivels to the court reporter. Put that in the record, Mr. Graham. Art Blackwood thinks the cold is a meteorologist. Yes, sir. The court reporter taps his keys. Ella looks down to hide her smile. A shame, because she has a beautiful one. I clear my throat and jump in before I piss him off even more. Look, Ty and Bonnie started the eggnog business on the side after their customers at the diner told them how much they enjoyed it. As we've stated in our briefs, the recipe they use is based on the one created by Ty and Rayford's mother. However, based on doesn't mean the same. On top of that, Ms. King has presented exactly zero case law on point with this set of facts. On the contrary, a case out of Minnesota seems to suggest that recipes aren't sacrosanct. They aren't property and they can be reproduced, shared, and disseminated with no claim of ownership from the original creator. We maintain that Rayford has no case, that this suit should be dismissed, and that attorney's fees should be assessed against him. Mm-hmm. Judge Houston is still giving me the look over his glasses. Have you and Miss King engaged in a settlement conference since your last appearance before me? We had it scheduled, but couldn't get it done on account of... Art, last order in this case clearly set forth the requirements that you engage in at least three settlement conferences prior to bringing this family squabble before the court again. If I may, Your Honor. Ella stands. I'm the one who was unable to make the conference. Mr. Blackwood tried to set it up, but I had a matter with my brother come up, so I couldn't leave town on the scheduled day for the first one. Judge Houston starts smiling. Which brother? Her cheeks begin to turn pink. Logan. Sheriff Logan Kang. He leans back and crosses his arms amusement dancing in his eyes. Oh, I heard about the trouble he got into a month ago. I sure did. Something about impounding a load of fireworks during a raid on a meth lab, locking them in the back of his... He's laughing now. Sheriff SUV, forgetting about them, putting a perp back there, and then kaboom! He's full-on guffawing, then holds his hand out like he's reading a marquee. Sheriff lights up the night on Route 43. The people who lived out that way thought, choking laughter, they thought it was the aliens or maybe some sort of power junction issue. It was so bright and loud, but it was just the sheriff giving a 4th of July salute that ruined his entire vehicle. Her lips pressed into a thin line, and she looks down at the table. Shit, I should be going for the throat and laughing along with the judge. But I can't. 
not when she's so uncomfortable. I'm glad no one was hurt. I throw it out there. I heard it would have been bad if Logan hadn't saved the guy who'd lit them. He got burned rescuing the idiot. The judge finally begins to sober. She looks over at me and faintly dips her chin in acknowledgement. Look who's scoring points with opposing counsel. The no-good Blackwood, that's who. I didn't know about the burns. He puts his glasses back on. Is he all right? He is. She straightens her back. But that incident happened the evening before the first conference was set, so I had to look after Logan and couldn't get over to Browerton. I understand. He opens his palms. But I still need those conferences to take place, and since you noted that the spirit of the season is upon us, I want you to get them conducted sooner rather than later. Now... He reaches for the zipper at the top of his black robe. Laura Ann and the grandkids are waiting for me out back. We all packed up for the beach, and now that I know this hearing isn't an emergency, I am leaving this in your hands. He stands and drapes his robe across the back of his chair, the clothes underneath ridiculously summery with shorts and a t-shirt. I expect the conferences to be completed within the week. I'll be checking in from the beach after Christmas, so make sure it's done. He waves to the court reporter and his bailiff. I'm out. Merry Christmas. Get this settled and have an agreement on my desk when I return. But, Judge, what if we can't come to an agreement? Ella steps toward him as he retreats behind the bench. You can. He opens the door to his chambers. I have faith in you. Then the door slams, and he's gone. Chapter 4 Ella Christmas in Browerton. Not so bad, right? A log truck rumbles down the road outside the Motel 6, and chunks of sawdust and bark fly off and land on my car in the parking lot. I cringe as I hit Benton's contact number in my phone. He picks up on the second ring. A storm's coming. You on the road home? It's not going to snow. That's a load of crap. You know it never snows this far south except that one time forever ago. It'll just be some rain. Mm-hmm. I hate his skeptical mm-hmms. What are you trying to avoid telling me? Did you lose the case? No. I peel back the flowery bedspread and toss it to the floor, then sit on the bed. Good. I can, hang on, your secretary's ringing me. Wait, no, let me explain before. I hear the line go quiet, and I lie back on the scratchy sheet. Shit. It clicks back over so quickly I jump when I hear his voice. Why is Candace bringing you case files and clothes? I try to sound confident. I'm staying here for Christmas. Judge said that we need to have the three conferences before he gets back from Destin, so three conferences during the holidays? I'll call Judge Houston right this second. You sit tight. No, I sit up. Don't. 
I can handle this myself, Benton. I know you can, but we want you home for Christmas. This is ridiculous. He can't require you to... He can. You know how judges are. This isn't even the most outlandish demand one's ever made from me. Remember the horse case, where I had to personally make a video for the judge pointing out the horse's missing ball and explaining that the accident that led to its loss was compensable at law? He snorts a small laugh. <laughs> yeah, Logan came up with your closing argument. Sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes, stop. I'm smiling, I can't help it. Logan certainly had us all howling at the firm that day. He sighs. Is this you trying to prove that you can handle this case on your own? I know I can. You do too. Tell her she's got this and that we'll see her once the conferences are over. A quiet voice comes through. Arabella? She's here, meddling like she does. Benton tries to sound stern but fails. Arabella is his kryptonite. Love you, Ella. You got this, she calls. Show that heart what he's missing. I kind of want to die. Why did I tell her about that one drunken evening? Wait, she knows heart? Benton is, as usual, in the dark. Girl talk. Arabella shuts him down. Dunk it in that little boy's face, Ella. Thanks. I clench my eyes shut. I'll call every day. Save me some pie. Pumpkin or sweet potato? I scoff. Sweet potato, obviously. That's my girl, Arabella says. Now, Benton, leave her be. She's got it handled. Fine, he grumbles. Can't get any work done around here with you two all in my business anyway. You don't want me in your business? Arabella's voice turns sultry. I thought you liked it when I gave your business special attention. I can hear him swallow. I gotta go. Call every day. We love you. Bye. The call ends, and I can't tell if I want to laugh or cringe. Maybe both. I tap on my contacts again and dial Hart's law firm. After a quick moment with the receptionist, he answers. Hi, Miss King. Hi. I wanted to know when we could schedule the first conference. You really are staying in town, huh? Yes. I stare at the water stain on the ceiling. At least I hope it's from water. Where are you staying? Why does my body tingle when he asks where I'm staying? Get it together, Ella. That's none of your concern. He makes a sound, sort of like he's sucking on a toothpick. Let's see here. You're gonna be holed up at the Motel 6 over on the highway. It's economical and close to the courthouse. Am I warm? I frown at the phone. If you have a point, please make it. Otherwise, let's set a conference so we can get the ball rolling. You think we can settle it? Sure if your clients give mine what he's owed. So that's a no. He laughs. Okay, then. Let's have the first conference this afternoon, somewhere in neutral territory. This afternoon? 
You got something better to do? Or maybe you enjoy listening to the log trucks tearing up the road right outside your window. His voice drops a little. Or if you'd rather I come to your room at the Motel 6 and- Excuse me? I put every ounce of indignation I have into the words, but I'm fanning myself with my hand. Don't get excited, Miss Kang. I was only offering to pick you up and valet you over to the firm to talk. Oh, I don't think my cheeks can get any redder. Oh, sorry. It's fine. I want to get you home as soon as possible. It can't be easy on your family for you to be gone over the holidays. I have some business to attend to at my brother's house after lunch today. Could you meet me there? You know the way, I take it given how you helped the district attorney with that whole mess a few years back. I chew my lip. I thought you said we could have neutral territory. Oh, well, if you want to wait longer, that's fine. I just wanted to give you the option to get the first conference over with. We know what our clients want. Maybe we can agree to split the baby somehow, or at least come to some preliminary agreement. He's right, and he's smart. I think he's been planning to set this trap from the moment we left the courthouse. He wants me on my heels, surrounded by Blackwood and totally out of my element. Sure, I can do that. Meet there at, say, two o'clock? Yes. He sounds a smidge surprised. That'll work great. Good. See you then. I end the call and spring up from the bed. Maybe he thinks he's got me where he wants me but I'll show him it doesn't matter where we are. I'm going to win this case, and I don't care if his entire family sees the ass-kicking I intend to deliver. Chapter 5 Hot Ella rolls up in her sensible car and steps out. I peek at her like a total stalker though it's difficult to see around the big red Christmas bow Elise has put on all the windows. It's wise to keep Ella in my sights. We're about to begin a pitched battle. I'll need every advantage I can get. Not to mention the fact that I fucking love the way her blue sweater clings to her curves, and she's in jeans. I can't see her ass, but I just know it looks amazing. Creeper? Elise walks by and smacks me with a worn pair of gardening gloves. He learned from the best. Garrett follows her, his gaze on her ass. Yeah, we're brothers. He's older, only a half inch taller, and much more well endowed in the facial hair arena. But our mom always said I was the handsome one, so he can eat a dick. Is she going to come in or just stare? Elise leans next to me and peers down at Ella. You stared when you first got here. Garrett grabs her wrist and pulls her toward the stairs, the little bells on the Christmas tree in the foyer jingling. Remember? Yeah, but the house looks amazing now. All I have to do is finish the work on the spare bedrooms and it'll be perfect. She gives him some fierce side-eye. Back when it was just you... It was like something from a slasher flick. Does that make me the slasher? He gives her a predatory grin. Please take your weird sex play upstairs. I don't want to make a bad impression. 
I'm suddenly hot, so I strip off my suit coat. Elise and Garrett exchange a look. What? I yank my already loose tie free. Nothing. Elise shrugs. And I want to meet her. She turns toward the front door, but Garrett grabs her hand. No, Mrs. Blackwood. We have some weird sex play to attend to upstairs. Oh, come on. I want to meet her. With a growl, Garrett grabs her, throws her over his shoulder, and, ignoring her protests, carries her upstairs like a caveman. Sickos. But I love them. Keep it down up there, I yell right as the doorbell rings. I stride for the door. When I pull it open, Ella stares up at me with those big brown eyes. This house is beautiful. She looks at the front porch swing and the potted pansies by the door. Last time I was here, when all that trouble happened, it looked so different. From slasher flick to southern living, right? She nods. Pretty much, yeah. Elise and Garrett have spent every free moment repairing, repainting, and bringing the house back to its old glory. I pitch in when I can, but I like to take on more of a supervisory role. Is that so? The skepticism isn't misplaced. My idea of supervising is cracking open a beer and falling asleep on the porch swing. I step back as a chilly wind rushes past, scattering the crinkly leaves on the driveway. Sorry, come in. Cold out there. Was the drive okay? Sure. She walks in, and I close the door behind her. My secretary met me out where the highway branches off toward Azalea. She dropped off my stuff, then hightailed it back home to get milk and bread for the snowstorm. She wrinkles her nose. I kept telling her it doesn't snow here. Not usually, no. I lead her through the foyer and into the living room. In here, okay? I mean, we can sit at the dining room table if you want to be more formal, but I thought this might be a better fit. She glances around at the cozy furniture and the low flames in the fireplace. This is nice. Yeah, it'll work. Great. My eyes wander as she turns and surveys the room. I was right. Her ass is a revelation in these jeans. Hair? Is that what they say her shape is? Because that's perfect. A luscious pear is just what she is. I pull my gaze free when she turns back around. Want some to drink? We've got white, red, beer. I can make a mean mojito or a mint julep if you're feeling fancy. Water is fine. She sits primly on the leather couch, then opens a black briefcase and pulls out a legal pad. Water. Got it. I head to the kitchen and then back out with our drinks. Sitting across from her, I kick back on the love seat and take a pull of my beer. She tucks her dark blonde hair behind her ears. Rayford is available by phone should we come close to any sort of agreement. I assume Bonnie and Ty are as well? They're working at the diner, but yeah, 
I can get a hold of them whenever I need them. Good. She sips her water and carefully sets it on a coaster before adjusting her glasses and grabbing a pen. I think we should find some common ground with a brief refresher on the facts and go from there. Okay, shoot. I knit my hands together in front of me. She takes a breath and begins reciting her side of the story. I watch her mouth, the way her upper lip forms a perfect cupid's bow. Her sweater has a rounded sort of neckline that drops away from her throat. I see a pretty little strawberry mole on her collarbone. Lower, the sweater hugs the line of her breasts, then narrows at her waist and flares wider at her hips. She must look like a Greek goddess when she's naked. Just the thought sends a jolt to part south. Shit. My mind really needs to slow down. Hang on. She just stuck the pen in her mouth, her straight white teeth nibbling at it. Is she trying to kill me? I take a bigger swig from my bottle. Heart? She looks at me expectantly. Yeah? She cocks her head to the side. Did you hear anything I just said? Yeah. No. Look, you and I both know Rayford is a damn leech who's after the money that Ty and Bonnie worked hard for, okay? He's not going to win this case. I think he is. She fires right back. Ty and Bonnie took something that belonged to Ty and Rayford and profited from it. Case law says that the proceeds are also half Rayford's. Look it up. Morrison versus Lewis, a 2012 Mississippi Supreme Court decision. Case law. I shake my head. That's great and all, but I have something better. Like what? She crosses her arms, but instead of looking tough, it just makes her look extra kissable, as if she's daring me to come for her. And fuck if I don't want to. I have facts that you don't have. Her eyes narrow. You were supposed to turn over everything in discovery. You told the court that you had, but now you're saying that you've held back and there's more evidence? That is unacceptable. Judge Houston used to visit the diner every Wednesday for lunch. What? The way her eyebrows rise. She can't have seen that coming. So? So, Wednesday is fried catfish day. He hasn't been able to visit for the past few months because of the conflict of interest. Do you have any idea how delicious catfish day is? I almost groan at the thought of it. It's like if the Almighty himself breaded and fried the fish, okay? Perfectly seasoned. Crispy, utterly delicious, and they serve it with a side of mac and cheese and some spicy collards. It is, in a word, heaven, and Judge Houston has been missing it for months because of Rayford. Her stomach grumbles. Exactly. I throw my hands up. I rest my case. Those are the all-important facts? She relaxes her hair. Catfish has nothing to do with this. This is a small town, Mrs. Kang. You come from a small town. 
You should know that everything has to do with everything here. We're all connected. So yes, the catfish does have plenty to do with this. I don't? Something thumps upstairs, and I can't mistake Elisa's squeal of pleasure, or possibly pain. What was that? Ella's eyes are wide. My brother and his wife, they're, uh, they're really into, uh, another thump and a low groan make it through the timbers. Kickboxing. Okay. She looks up, and then her stomach grumbles again. I pause before finishing off my beer. Did you skip lunch? She shrugs and pulls her legal pad back into her lap. We should get back to work, catfish notwithstanding. You skip lunch. I stand. And it's damn near supper time. Come on, I can whip you up something nice. And I can get you away from my brother's kink. No, I'm fine. We should just get this conference over with, then I can grab something on the way back to town. Come on. I hold my hand out to her. She eyes it like it might bite her. Please. With an aggrieved sigh, she sets her pad down and takes my hand. God, I love the feel of her skin. Something so simple. How many hands do I shake a day? Plenty. But hers is something magical. Mainly because of who it's attached to. I let her go, though I don't want to, and lead her to the kitchen. What are you into, Ms. Kang? I can make. She peers at the piled wood in the back hall. Please, call me Ella. Sweet, sweet victory. All right, Ella. I smile. Don't mind the construction stuff. Elise is in the middle of redoing the two bedrooms on this floor. And, by the way, I think I said you could call me hot when we first got onto this case together, but you wouldn't. I like the formality. Makes everything seem more official in court and in front of the clients. But we're here now. She looks around the remodeled kitchen. In this gorgeous place. My goodness, this marble is so nice. She runs a hand down the island. It's Alabama white. There's a quarry south of Birmingham. Can you imagine that? It's like Italian marble, but dug up by Bubba instead of Benicio. I point to one of the island seats. Get comfortable. I'm ready to work for you. Are you sure? I could just snack on whatever's handy or... Sit, I point. She does. It thrills me when she complies. Maybe a little too much. I add a please too late, but she seems not to mind. Okay. I walk into the pantry. I can make spaghetti, chicken salad sandwiches, some sort of egg salad if you're freaky. I head to the fridge and see what's on hand. There's a Christmas turkey in here. Okay, so not that. Or I can do a shrimp linguine with a hint of citrus. Oh. Yeah? I turn and look at her. She nods. That sounds amazing. 
but I don't want to put you out. Not at all. This is all part of my winning strategy. I pull out the gulf shrimp and some cream and set them on my side of the island. Gonna feed you into submission. <laughs> You're ridiculous. She's smiling. I want to see that smile so much more. Thank you. I melt some butter in a pan and put some salted water on to boil. Her eyes are on me the whole time, and I like the feeling. It's comfortable with her somehow. When I turn around and catch her staring, she clears her throat. I, um, don't see why we can't work while you cook. Sure. Work is the last thing I want to do, but I'll humor her. How do you suggest we resolve this matter? A full split of... Realistically, Ella. I peel and devein the shrimp. Sure, Rayford wants the pie in the sky, but he doesn't deserve it, and Judge Houston won't give it to him. He deserves to be compensated. For what? He hasn't done a lick of work to create this eggnog side business. Ty and Bonnie invested their savings to get it started, and it's frankly a miracle that it's turning a profit at all. I toss the shrimp into the pan. The sizzle tells me I timed it right, so I add the garlic and a few splashes of lemon juice. That smells amazing. She stands and walks around the island to peer into the pan. What did you put in there? She's at my elbow, her warmth lighting up my side. I toss the linguine into the boiling water. Your staples are present. Salt, pepper, onion, and garlic. I call those the royal quartet. And then I've added the lemon juice. I'll put the zest in once I've added the cream for the sauce. If you add it too early, it's liable to burn. I can cook a few things, but nothing like this. If you can read, you can cook. I point to a shelf next to the pantry full of cookbooks, most of them old. And the internet has some recipes so good that they'll definitely make you want to slap your mama. She gives me a wry smile. I bet you could charm a Yankee with that kind of talk. I'm not charming you. I stir the shrimp. I did once. I hold my breath. Does she remember? She groans and retreats back to a seat. Damn it. I was sort of hoping you didn't remember that night. You hadn't mentioned it this whole time, so I thought I was safe. Safe? With me? Not a chance. She taps a glass, her cheeks getting those pink blooms in them. I think I'll have some wine after all. Was it that bad? I pour her a white and grab myself another beer. Thanks. She takes a small gulp. Not bad. It's just, I want you to know, I'm not the sort that goes out partying with law school grads and tries to pick one of them up, okay? She continues, her words coming so fast they're almost stuck together. That night I was celebrating with one of my friends who'd passed the bar with you, and I was just intending to get a drink with her and then get home. I didn't realize half the law school would be at the bar to party, and then I let Orchid give me way too much to drink. I mean, 
It wasn't a lot for a social drinker, but back then I was a total lightweight, so it all went to my head, and then I saw you, and you were so handsome and smelled so good. She takes a bigger gulp. At this point, I've turned off the stove and given her my full attention, which somehow makes her talk even faster in an utterly adorable way. And so then I was buzzed and you were there and I got a little out of hand. You crawled into my lap and kissed me in front of the entire bar. She clenches her eyes shut. I know. And asked me to take you home. I plate her food. Oh, God. She hangs her head. But I didn't because you were so trashed. Thank you. Her hair drapes in a curtain in front of her face. I really thought you'd forgotten. Forget you? I serve up a food. Not possible. She lifts her head. I was that embarrassing? You were that memorable. I take the seat next to her. The next day, I managed to track you down through Orchid, but she told me you were mortified, hungover, and had zero interest in a newly minted lawyer with no job prospects and the Blackwood name. She said that? She picks up a fork. Yeah, I couldn't blame her. I shrug and watch as she takes her first bite. That was after the whole Blackwood thing blew up. The papers didn't exactly paint us in a positive light. And you saw what it was like out here. Not good. She makes an mmm noise. This is so good, Hart. Thanks. I clink my beer with a wine glass. And please, don't be embarrassed. I can't help it. It was so out of character for me to act that way. I mean, I pretty much pawed at you in public. To be accurate, she had dry-humped me in public. But there's no need to put so fine a point on it at the moment. Maybe you didn't notice I was more than happy to have you on top of me. She takes a big bite and chews, using the food as a shield. Seriously, why do you think I tried to find you the next day? I wanted to get to know you, but like I said, Orchid made it clear I wasn't the guy for you. Sorry about that. She turns toward me, finally. Orchid can be pushy, but I mean she was right. I was busy with my career. You were just starting out. She shrugs. And my name? I didn't care about your name. I learned a long time ago that what people say about you and the truth are two entirely separate concepts. The king name carries a lot of water in Azalea. Or it used to. But then my father's history came to light. She spears the last shrimp. So no, names don't mean a thing. Sorry about your dad. Thanks. She drops her chin a little. I know he wasn't a good man, but I still miss him. I understand. I take a swig of my beer. She eats in silence for a moment. I can't let the mood stay heavy. Not when I finally have her feeling comfortable around me. So that night, you don't remember dry humping me? 
She stops mid-chew and gives me a sideways glance. I laugh. You do! Her laugh meets mine. And God, she's absolutely beautiful when she smiles. I reach over and wipe a bit of sauce from the edge of her bottom lip, then lick my thumb. She follows the movement, but quickly drops her eyes. Clearing her throat a little, she says, This really is delicious. I lean closer. So were you. She snorts. Is this you making a pass at me? You can't tell? I try not to grin, though I'm feeling particularly wolfish. She remembers, and not just vaguely. She knows every detail of our kiss that night, of straddling my lap, of how we instantly connected the moment we locked eyes across the bar. Nope. She drinks more of her wine. And it won't work anyway. That night was a fluke. We're opposing counsel. This, she waves her fork between us, isn't happening. Why not? She puts a fork down. You can't be serious. I'm serious. I pick it back up and hand it to her. You missed a bite. She quirks her lip but takes the fork. It doesn't matter if you're serious. We're opposing counsel. You and I seeing each other? She takes the last bite and washes it down with her wine. That's a state bar complaint waiting to happen. Then we need to get this case settled. Great. She wipes her mouth. I'm glad we agree. Your clients can pay Rayford the... I kiss her. It's impulsive and rash, but I've never been known for having an even temperament. She freezes at first, and I think I've misjudged her. Then she lets out the softest sigh and melts into me. Her lips are so soft, even better than I remember. The kiss becomes more as I cup her cheek and angle her head. Maybe I'm going too far, too fast for her. But I've been thinking about doing this very thing for years. So I do it, and I don't hold back. I swipe my tongue along the seam of her lips, and she opens. I take everything she offers with silent thanks. I can't get enough. She turns toward me and presses her palm to my chest. I wonder if she can feel how fast my heart is beating. I want her to know what she does to me, what she's been doing to me every single time I see her in that courtroom. I put one hand at her lower back and pull her closer, my legs outside of hers as we continue kissing, the dance of our tongue sending pools of pleasure shooting through my veins. I want to lift her onto this counter to feel the heat between her thighs as I kiss down her chest. Just the thought has me running my palm lower until I'm cupping her ass. She makes a soft, feminine sound, then pulls back. I chase her and catch her mouth again, kissing her until we're both breathless. When she pulls away again, I let her, though I want to drag her back into my arms. Heart, we shouldn't. 
She can't hide the way her eyes are still on my lips. We're on the same case. The bar would- Kissing isn't an ethics violation. It is when you're opposing counsel. She rises and steps back. Is there a powder room I might use? Sure. Turn left, first door on your right. I itch to follow her, to try to convince her that this is right, that we've been waltzing toward this moment ever since we first met. But I stay put as she walks into the hall. She's spooked. I need to give her space. Just a little. Just for now. We're back, lady listeners. Hi. Okay, so I'm sure by now you're addicted to Celia Aaron. If you go to our links in our Instagram bio, you can get links to, um, you know, what we're what she's giving away. You can get links to readmeromance.com. And we have all of her books there, all the links to all of her releases on there. So the, if you're looking for like, yeah, the other brother's book. The other brother's book yeah, is out right now, Blackwood. And uh, she's giving away a pack of three mystery signed books. So go to readmeromance.com and enter to win those. And we'll be back on Friday with more of Christmas at Blackwood. So we'll see you then. Leah, tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You can take a look at